It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. In the fall each year we all congregate The mouth all gathered at the church of Pilgrim The scriptures reading from the book of months in Our favorite verse, my God, a freshman Drunk and obnoxious, what Georgia faith Ain't nothing finer in the lane Now the 3,000 of our best friends It's Saturday and that thing Welcome to the Saturday in Athens podcast. I'm Herschel Gurley. We are a Georgia Bulldogs show by dogs fans for dogs fans. We are thrilled today to be joined by Jason Hasty. Jason is the University of Georgia Athletics History Specialist for the Hargett Rare Book and Manuscript Library, which is part of the UJ Library System. Jason manages the Athletic Association Archive, assists researchers working with athletics materials, uses athletics materials in the classroom with graduate and undergraduate students, and designs museum exhibits and community events using uh, UGA athletics artifacts. He was born in East Point, Georgia, to a family of Georgia fans and graduated from Pebble Brook High in Mableton, Georgia. He graduated from UGA with a degree in English and has been working for the UGA libraries for 15 years. Uh, since 2012, he's been managing the Athletic Association archives for the UGA libraries. Jason, welcome to the show. We are fired up to have you. Hey, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate the chance to be on with you guys today. So how this materialized, just to give the listeners some background, is I have, over the last year, pelted Jason with a number of questions about Georgia's athletics history, uniforms, logos, things of that nature, and I figured I can't be the only one that is seeking some further depth on those topics. So I wanted to give Jason the opportunity to flesh some of that out because his knowledge is bountiful and uh, we want to we want to tap that resource. So, so first things, Jason, I want you to tell us a little bit about the athletics archives and the athletics history program within Hargrit, because I know that that is a gigantic resource. Uh, for folks connected to Georgia. And I don't know that enough people know about what a resource it is. So could you talk about that a little bit for us? Yeah, absolutely. And it is something of a hidden uh, treasure here on campus. The Athletic Association archives were collected by the Athletic Association over many years and stored in various places in their facilities, in Butsmere and in the Coliseum. In 2012, when this building, when the Richard B. Russell Special Collections Library's building was opened, that collection came over to us. They actually donated that to the UG libraries for proper care, to be cataloged fully, and to be made available to the public. So we took that all in, and over the course of a couple of years, uh, cataloged this huge collection, basically went through every little piece of it and said, what is this? How does it fit into the collection? described it and made that catalog available online for anyone to see. And the material is actually here in the building for anyone to use. It's open to the public 
anyone who wants to come in here can come in and look at it for any reason. They can't take any of it home with them, but you can look at it here. You can't you can't really take like Herschel's helmet home with you. For <laughs> but you can. Use I'm sure many people too. would like to. <laughs> you know, we've had people ask uh, actually, uh, but all that's open to the public, and it's a huge collection. It's a couple of hundred boxes worth of UGA sports history. Everything from photographs, uniforms. Uh, we have around 100 footballs. We have uh, helmets. We have uh, documentation for how the athletic department was run in the early days, especially. Uh, we have all kinds of oddball memorabilia, uh, things like... Um, figurines depicting Georgia players or UGA over the years, all the way up to license plates to even a uh, bourbon decanter shaped like UGA that actually is also a music box. So just a really <laughs> wide range of things uh, that was collected by the Athletic Association. Now, this is not a static collection. We are actively adding to it through the years, uh, and there has been a lot added to it since we got it. So, But the core of this collection is what came over to to us from athletics. Um, since we took it over, uh, we've taken on Dan McGill's archive. Of course, Dan McGill was you know, the greatest bulldog of them all. He was the Georgia, legendary Georgia tennis coach, uh, sports information director, did about 400 other things for the university. And we took over his archives when he passed uh, in 2014. Uh, we've had regular donations from peoples who who had family play for the university in, in several different sports uh, and from the athletic department. Uh, they are actively working to make sure that we have material coming into us from, uh, from current uh, sports today, current, current athletes. So this is a really active collection. And like I said, it's, it's, a, it's something that a lot of Georgia people don't really necessarily know about. Uh, they don't know that we have this trove of history available or that if we do, that it's available to them to come in and see. And I, I want you to, I guess, give some depth to, I know there have been some annual traveling exhibits put in place that uh, generally are formed around a particular topic uh, mm -hmm. that will visit different areas of the state. And then also, I believe in conjunction with that, when things were more normal in a, in a non-COVID world, those exhibits were also generally available on Friday evenings at late afternoon evenings prior to Georgia home games. Could you discuss that program a little bit and some of the topics that have been covered and that are being explored to be covered in the future? Sure. Well, there's are kind of two different things. We're doing two different things here. Here in the building, we have a really nice museum space and it allows us to have kind of large scale static exhibits about a particular topic. So each fall, and again, you know, during normal times, uh, unfortunately, we weren't able to do this last year because of, uh, because of COVID. But during normal times, we will explore a single topic in these large-scale museum exhibits here in our building. In the past, we've looked at uh, Coach Dooley's life and career. We've looked at the origins, the first 25 years of Georgia football. We've looked at Georgia football during the time of World War II. We've looked at the history of the Redcoat Band. Uh, we've also done a couple of exhibits relating to UGA tennis, the one uh, relating to uh, kind of revolving around Dan McGill and the other revolving around the great tradition of the NCAA tennis tournament being held here in Athens. 
So those are just kind of some of the, the static topics or static exhibits we've done here in the building. And those are up in the fall. And like you mentioned, when they are up on Fridays for home football games, I'll give a tour of that exhibit uh, where people get the, I don't know, pleasure is the right word, but they get to listen to me for <laughs> about UGA sports history. So whether they like that or not, I don't know. Uh, but that's kind of what we do. It's free to the public. Anyone can come in and it's kind of a good way to kick off the football weekend for a lot of folks. And it's kind of fun to, to see that it's become a tradition for a lot of families uh, through the years to start their football weekends by coming on a tour of uh, one of our exhibits. So in the future, what we're looking to do is um, have a couple of topics I want to, to tackle, uh, no pun intended. The first is uh, hopefully for this fall uh, will be the desegregation of UGA athletics. Uh, that's a very weighty topic, uh, so we don't really shy away from things that are a little more in-depth. Uh, we certainly want to do things that are fun and fan-friendly, but we also want to give a, a good thorough accounting for the history of the program. This is one of the ways that we do that. Uh, also, next year, I'm looking to do a, an exhibit about Title IX and the growth of women's athletics here at the university. So uh, I think every Georgia fan knows we have a tremendous women's sports program and we want to give them their due by, by giving them an exhibit. The traveling exhibits that you mentioned were something that came about about four years ago. And uh, again, unfortunately, last year we weren't able to do this. And I don't know uh, if we'll be able to do it this year. But we do take a selection of about 40, 45 artifacts from the Athletic Association archives, put it in a van, and we'll go to communities around the state. We'll go to public libraries in Georgia for a day and people can come in and see these materials. We'll talk to them, I'll be there. I'll generally a colleague will be there with me and we'll talk to people about these materials. They can kind of linger as long as they want. Again, it's a free thing, it's, it's fun for everybody and it's a good chance to pop in for five minutes, see something cool or linger and hang out for an hour and really talk about things if they want to. So we're doing that and we're hoping to expand uh, that program uh, as we're able to, as COVID allows. Uh, unfortunately, last year's program had to be canceled, but we had two dates down in South Georgia, one in Bainbridge, one in St. Mary's. We had a couple in the Atlanta area um, and a couple of more uh, kind of outlined from the city. So we're trying to hit as many different parts of the state as we can with that. And it's been a lot of fun. We'll try, you know, we'll bring out all kinds of fun stuff. It's, uh, we'll bring out Herschel Walker's helmet. We'll bring out the gloves that Sonny Michelle wore when he scored the winning touchdown in the Rose Bowl. We'll uh, bring out, you know, Kachura uh, Orgy's uh, Rio Olympics track and field uniform. We'll bring out all kinds of stuff. So it's just a good thing for everybody. Yeah, that's cool. And the thing I love about that and kind of what I love when it started is that I just think it gives people who maybe don't, you know, you, you don't get to make a trip to Athens one year. Maybe it's because of health or whatever it may be. It, it brings those things to the state at large and kind of gives folks that loves the dogs an opportunity to see that. So I just love that. Love the work that y'all do through both of those programs and would encourage all dogs fans to pursue those when they have the opportunity. Um, I want to pivot a bit, and this is as much for my education as anything, but I want to tap your knowledge on kind of a quasi logo, quasi uniform question. Uh, I have read two separate stories on the origin of the Georgia G in its current iteration. And I want to know the entire story. I want you to give me the Paul Harvey rest of the story on this. And 
Um, I so let me tell you the two that I've heard, so you can flesh them out and tell me which one's crazy and which one's real. Okay, so the one that I have read and I think is the most prevalent is the one that involves former Georgia running back uh, John Donaldson and his wife Ann, mm-hmm. and the inception of the G following Coach Dooley's um, appointment as head coach in late 63, going into the 64 year as the shift. And um, that, you know, the interplay, because I think the question that always comes up is what's the interplay between George's G and the Packers G. And I guess the the variation in that story is that um, they corresponded with Green Bay just to say, hey, it's going to be similar. Are y'all okay with us doing this? Packers say yes. So that's, I think, the more official story that I've heard. And then another one that I've heard and read involves Bobby Towns and his father, Speck Towns, who obviously, you know, Olympic athlete and longtime track coach at Georgia. And that one is a little bit more involved. Um, I think, interestingly, uh, Bobby was also a running back. So it seems that Georgia running backs are entangled in the Georgia G, whether they want to be or not. (laughs) You know, we are RBU. So that's uh, right. That's right. And so with that one, what I heard was Bobby was good enough to have some time in the NFL, um, bounced around a little bit and had had a tryout with the Packers, uh, didn't hang on before he left, brought home some Packers, I guess, gear, you could say, one of which being the Packer helmet sticker. And it made its way to his Thunderbird and his dad saw it and liked it and made contact with the Packers who and this is the part of the story I'm super interested in that apparently the Packers equipment manager was Pap Eberhardt, who was Speck's wife's daddy, making it Pap's father-in-law and Bobby's granddad. And that Pap sent Speck some of the stickers and Speck slapped them on the old silver helmet, showed him to coach Dooley, coach Dooley liked it. And that's how it went forward. So Tell me how much of that is fact and how much of that's fiction. <laughs> you know, the, the, the origin of the G is pretty pretty interesting. And, and I think that, you know, we can kind of take it even a step back further as to why they were even changing the uniform. Uh, before we, before 64, when, or late 63, when Dooley took over and started changing things, we had a very plain uniform, red jersey, silver helmet, silver pants, uh, really very little there were numbers on the back, but that was about it. Um, very little adornment, I should say. Coach Dooley wanted to break with that past because, frankly, through the late 50s, early 60s, Georgia was in a bad way in athletics. And it was fans, – fans, fan support was low. We'll put it, we'll put it diplomatically there. Fan <laughs> support was low. And – so Coach Dooley really had the, the wise move of breaking with that visually and bringing in a new uniform to kind of visually give the idea that the regime had changed and that things were on a new path. Uh, so in doing that, he was really influenced at first by the Auburn uniforms. And you can actually look and see there are several pictures floating out there. We don't have one in the Athletic Association archives. I would love to have one, but we don't, of a, an early concept of the Georgia uniform that's basically the Auburn uniform, but in red and black, 
with a white helmet instead of a red helmet. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, and that was just way too close to the Auburn, Auburn design uh, for the Georgia officials to be comfortable with, especially since Coach Dooley was bringing in so many Auburn coaches into the program at that time. So they went another direction. And the origins of the Power G are a little bit nebulous, but I think the official story is probably closest to the truth. I think that we were inspired by very heavily inspired by the Green Bay G. The Green Bay G, though, at the time was a little bit rounder than it is now. It right. has narrowed out a little bit over the years. And so uh, I think we took that as an inspiration. The Packers were just getting started um, kind of on their road to dominance in the 60s. The Packers had been a kind of a woebegone organization for a long time until Vince Lombardi came in. Uh, and Lombardi, of course, turned them around pretty much immediately and went on to dominate the 60s. So you had two programs that were being turned around. One was just starting the process. The other, under Lombardi, had started a couple of years earlier. Both had Gs in their names or starting the names. I think that there was just a mutual uh, kind of sympathy for the Packers. And I'm sure we looked at that uniform, liked it, liked the G. Uh, and use that as an inspiration uh, for for the power G, as we call it now. So I, I, I've heard the Specktown story. I'm never willing to just completely say something isn't true, unless I, I, unless I can really narrow it down, unless I can nail it down as being untrue. But I give a little less weight to it than I do the official story in this case. Uh, sometimes the official stories are, you know, not just for Georgia, but for all organizations are sometimes a little bit uh, cleaned up and easier to, to digest. But I think in this case, uh, Donaldson and his wife drawing the G is probably closer to what actually happened. It's interesting because I feel like in, you know, a decades long process where multiple schools have undergone, I would, I would say brand reimaginations probably, uh, I, I think it speaks to the enduring legacy of the logo that it's not only lasted as long as it has, but become so iconic because mm -hmm. I feel like most every high school in the country that you go to that starts with a G has some variation of that power G, uh, which is great. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I think there's something cool about that. And I'm always interested in, I guess the, the etymology of things like that. So, um, We'll, we'll take that. I like, I like the, uh, I like the imagination in the spec story. I also like the, I don't know. It's just, it, it's so interesting. I think history is, you know, it's his story, right? So it's a, uh, it's just such a, an interesting thing to flesh out and think about. So that, that's cool. Um, and you're right. You know, you see that G so many places, uh, any school that has a G in its name really takes that on. And you see it, it's, it, I think the word iconic gets thrown around a little bit too easily, but it is iconic. You see the, the Georgia G and you know exactly which school it represents and you know exactly the history behind that uh, or the history that it represents. Now the history behind the actual design may be a little murkier, but, but you, yeah. do know, you do know what it represents. Let me pivot off of that a little bit to ask a quasi-connected question. You, you had spoken about there not being, uh, you know, 
really anything but the plainer uniforms before. And mm-hmm. I know in our past correspondence in 62, they intermittently wore that block G on the helmet. What's the history behind that? Or what was the motivation for that during that 62 season? You know, I've never come across anything definitive about why they chose to wear the block G. It could just be that they wanted to spruce up the uniform a bit. Um, they weren't performing so well in the field. Uh, so maybe they want thought having a little bit of difference in the uniform would, uh, would be something the fans would enjoy. Maybe the players wanted it, uh, but I've never really run across anything definitive. And, that's kind of one of the, the, the fun things about athletics history is you don't always get a good answer. Uh, you don't really have these things that are documented as they are in other historical uh, situations. Things just kind of happen. Maybe the, the equipment manager had a supply of block letter G's and decided, hey, let's throw those on the helmet. It might look good. So these things just, just happen, and they happen very organically in sports, especially at that time. And so you don't necessarily get that great end-all, be-all story of why things happen. So why they put the block letter G on it, I'm not entirely sure. It's so fascinating because like, like we discussed earlier, I feel like the, the Georgia branding has been so uniform for so long yeah. that to see anything other than those marks and representations it's kind of fascinating, right? Because you're going, well, hey, we don't, we don't really see that or, or where did that come from or what's the story behind that? And I think that's kind of the fascination with it. I want to talk to you about something else uniform related that Bulldog fans are fascinated with, and that is the black jersey. Um, it's been obviously a hot topic since 07 when it debuted in modern times against Auburn. And I know I've asked you tons of questions about it. So I want to start with the history of it. I know you have told me that they possibly or maybe even documented wore uh, darker colored black jerseys in the late 1800s. And that's really the only appearance of them otherwise. Am I remembering all that right? That is correct. Uh, during the 18, of course, football at Jordan started in 1892. And they wore very, very simple uniforms because there weren't really many avenues for them to get sports equipment. Uh, they didn't have necessarily custom-made clothing for athletics like they do now. Um, and if you look at the newspaper descriptions of the time and you look at the photographs of the time, you don't always get a clear answer as to what exactly they were wearing. We know that they were wearing tan or brown work pants, essentially that had been padded and shortened a little bit to make football pants. We know that they were wearing thick socks, uh, usually dark color. We know that they were wearing leather boots. And a lot of times they're putting steel in the toes and in the heels of the boots to give them traction. Uh, if you can imagine playing football in a steel-toed work boot, there you go. They didn't wear helmets. Uh, they had them available that wasn't required. Generally, the only protective gear they had was a uh, soft metal, usually tins, uh, nose guard. As for the jersey, they wore they were issued jerseys and jerseys at the beginning of each season and had to wear that jersey throughout the year. So they patched up the jersey over time as it got ripped. We don't necessarily always know what color the jersey was. There's some documentary evidence to show that they wore red and black striped jerseys or crimson and black striped jerseys. They were wearing a darker red than the Georgia red we have now. Uh, so we know that, that we know that they were wearing crimson or, or red and black 
striped jerseys at some point. But it's not a case where we can say definitively, this is the exact type of jersey that they were wearing. This is what they had. These are the colors. We don't know that because there are no contemporary accounts that give us that information, uh, either in the newspapers or in the surviving letters uh, that we have news, um, from players, their families. We just don't have that. They didn't think about mentioning it. Today, we wore the black jersey. In 07, people will go crazy about this. They just didn't mention that. So we have to take some educated guesses. I, I'm sure, uh, just based on the photo evidence that we have, that they were wearing black jerseys in the 1890s a good bit. Uh, also, their Letterman sweaters uh, were black. Uh, they would put a red G on them, a red block letter G on the black jersey or the black sweaters. So I'm pretty sure that in the 1890s, they were wearing black jerseys at least sometimes. That probably extended into the 1900s. Uh, but again, the documentary evidence we have really doesn't give us those hints of what they were wearing. I suspect that by the 1900s, they were probably wearing red jerseys. And again, more, maybe more frequently, the red and black striped jerseys. Uh, because we were during this time really known as the red and black in the press, and so that has to come from somewhere. If we're, we're black and tan, that doesn't really suggest that as much. Uh, then we come to the 1920s. Now, by the 1920s, uh, uniforms have become more uniform. Uh, there are more uh, there are more similarities in what the teams are wearing from year to year, and I believe by then we have moved to red jerseys. If you can look at the photographs that were taken at the time, of course, they're all black and white or sepia toned. Uh, it is a lighter shade of jersey than you would expect if it were black. Now again, we can't say this definitively, but that is just my my guess from from many, many years of looking at photographs from the time period is this a lighter shade of red, uh, a lighter shade of, of jersey that they were wearing than if they were wearing black jersey. Also by the end of the 20s, you start seeing things like stripes on the sleeves of their jerseys. And some people have pointed out um, that the jerseys are really dark. You see a white stripe, that it's obviously a black jersey with a white stripe. If you take a super high resolution scan of the, of the photos where you see this, and you really blow up those areas where you see the stripes, you see that the stripes are darker around the white stripe than they are uh, if it would be a black jersey. So I think it's a red jersey with black and white stripes in their arms. Uh, it's just difficult to tell that if you're just casually looking at the photographs, you have to really focus on it. Beyond that, there's really no documentary evidence that we have that suggests we ever wore black jerseys uh, outside of the 1890s, early 1900s. There is a painting uh, when Frank Sinkwich won the Heisman there is a painting of Sinkwich uh, that went along with the Heisman. Each Heisman winner had his portrait painted and hangs and hung in the New York Athletic, at the Downtown Athletic Club in New York. Uh, and in this painting, Sinkwich uh, was wearing a black jersey with red letters, uh, white piping around the letters, and a red helmet. Um, there's nothing that I can find that we wore anything like that during the 1940s, uh, maybe outside of a photo shoot or something like that. But there's, in a game, there's, there's nothing I can see that, that shows that. And certainly during this time, 
sporting uh, press had advanced quite a bit and they were talking about the uniforms. They were talking about the jerseys. So if something had changed, if Georgia suddenly was wearing a black jersey, that was something that would be something that people would have noticed or commented upon in the press. So from there, of course, during the Dooley years, which were fully documented, we know we didn't wear a black, a black jersey during the Dooley years. Um, the other thing is that Wally Butts changed the jersey color from a deeper red, a deeper crimson red, to the Georgia red that we know now. And Butts changed the uniform just like uh, Dooley changed the uniform. And he pretty much held to that throughout his whole his whole tenure as our coach. So he wasn't really going to go back and forth between jerseys. Um, so I am very, I, I cannot say that we did wear black jerseys outside of the 1890s until you get to 07 when we brought out the black jerseys uh, and have worn a few times since. Um, so it's kind of an interesting, people assume maybe we have worn them in the past, but in the deep past when people have forgotten, but there's really nothing there to suggest that we did. And for me, for, for the way I approach research, uh, kind of again, as I was talking about with the Power G story, until I can say something definitively one way or the other, I'm not going to just speculate and say, this is, the, this is what we did because I think it may have happened. I really try to rely only on the documentary record, which for athletics, a lot of times it really is just um, the sporting press of the time. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the Heisman picture because that is something that you and I had emailed back and forth about. And I wonder, because you had told me that that's essentially just an artist's uh, creation and it was just it was just an uh, artist's interpretation for that, for that portrait. And it's interesting because that same year, and we had emailed back and forth about this too, there was the... Uh, illustrated football annual edition for 42 where Frank Sinkwich is on the cover and he's wearing a uniform set that looks not exact, but it's similar to what the Heisman portrait ended up to be like. And so you kind of wonder if, if maybe the, the artist that was rendering that photo maybe had a copy of the magazine and that influenced that or what may it be. And I'll tell you too, like we had posted this on our stuff and had found it through y'all, but you know, there's great video footage of George at the Rose Bowl that year. And you can clearly see the uniforms that they wore. And, and I would just find it odd in that day and time for there to be wild variations in uniform. I just, I can't imagine it being very utilitarian for that time period, right? No, and it really isn't. You also have to consider that during this time period, athletic budgets are tiny. They don't really have the money to go spend on three or four different uniform sets. What they have is what they can buy. Uh, and so they're not going to change out frequently because they just can't do that. It's just not financially feasible. So the, the magazine cover and, and the, the Heisman uh, portrait cover, Heisman portrait, I can only say that those are artist interpretations. Maybe the artist was given a picture of Sinkwich and said, Georgia wears red and black and the artist just painted them the way that they thought the art uniform would be. Because again, you are seeing some color photos, some color photography during the late thirties, early forties, and you don't see that uh, color jersey at all. 
Yeah, well, I appreciate all the insight on that. I'm I love learning stuff like that just because I like to know the full story behind things, and I'm sure that plenty of our listeners will as well. I want to close with you today how we close all our interviews with what we call the Smart 16, which are just 16 kind of rapid fire questions uh, in honor of Coach Smart. So the first one is, what's your middle name? Wade. All right. Who is your favorite dog of all time? Charlie Trippy. What is your favorite game, either that you've attended, watched, your favorite game in dog's history? Ooh, yeah, that's a tough one. The Rose Bowl comes to mind almost immediately. Um, though I will say that my very, the very first game I have any memory of was Georgia-Florida 1980. So I think one of those two. Those, those are both really good choices. <laughs> <laughs> I took the safe route of both of them, but it's yeah. on it. Yeah. yeah. What is your favorite rivalry that the dogs have? Auburn. What is your favorite away stadium in the Southeastern Conference? That is a good question. Honestly, it's a little underrated Mississippi State. Oh, Stark Vegas. I like that. Yeah. People don't think about it because we never go there. It's yeah. It's actually a stadium. Yeah, that's on – my brother and I try to do a uh, road game a year for the dogs, and we're trying to hit every road stadium in the SEC. And so Starkville's on our list, and I think we go there in a couple years. We do a return trip back there. And so we're going to try and hit it and, and weather the cowbells and, and see what it's like. So I, I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, uh, nice folks, beautiful little location, totally underrated stadium. Yeah, I like that. All right, what is the loudest home game you've ever attended at Sanford Stadium? Uh, I was there when Odell Thurman ran a Auburn fumble back 99 yards. It was the loudest I've ever heard Sanford Stadium. Uh, start to finish, Notre Dame. So – I can't tell you how much joy it brings me that you brought up Odell because that was the first Georgia game I ever attended between the hedges. And uh, it was so loud. Like I've told people, I felt like that stadium was going to collapse like the walls of Jericho because the cries were so loud. So. It, was, it was shaking. It was so yes. loud. I couldn't hear for days afterwards. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. Oh, that's so awesome. That makes you so happy. Okay, you get to choose the headlining act at the Georgia Theater. Who do you choose? All time. All time. Uh, you got to go R.E.M. there. That's a good one. I like that. Hometown flavor. I like that. Okay, what is the cocktail you're mixing for the world's largest outdoor cocktail party? Hmm. Um, anything with gator tears. is. is <laughs> I like that. I think that would be a phenomenal name for a cocktail that all Athens bars should jump on, and that's Gator Tears. I'm going to have to look into that. I might put some branding around that. I'll give you all the credit. <laughs> all right, you get to eat one meal in Athens. What's your favorite place to eat in Athens? Again, there's so many, there's so many options. Uh, I'm going to avoid kind of all the regular spots. I'm going to go Tacos at Los Reyes. Oh, I like that. That's a good one. Okay. Do you have any game day superstitions? I have to eat a barbecue sandwich before every home game. 
<laughs> I love that. Hey, that's a good one. That's good for everybody. Yeah. Uh, what is your favorite? Just something I like to do. But we'll go with that. <laughs> yeah, I like that. All right. What is your favorite Sanford Stadium pregame tradition? Whether it's dog walk, uh, lone trumpet, uh, Larry Munson coming across the airwaves. What's your favorite? Uh, it would have to be Larry Munson coming across. Uh, the, the Munson video is, is just hearing Munson's voice. You know, it brings back so many memories. Just that, so one many is, memories. that one is so good. Like, I can watch YouTube videos of that. And even though I'm not in the stadium, I still get kind of the, the, the chicken skin where the hair stands up, you know. Like, it's just awesome. Yeah. I, I will fully admit that I had – I had some tears in my eyes when they did the letter to letter to uh, Lauren Smith's letter to Larry a few years yes. ago. Was, uh, that was, that was beautiful. Yeah, it sure was. Well, he's, he's yeah. certainly a gifted writer. So yeah, that was awesome. Okay. Black jerseys. Yes or no. Yes. I like the black jerseys. Yeah. We, boss and I are also big fans. As you might imagine, I'm kind of a traditionalist. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Uh, I, I, but I like the black jerseys. I think it's a good look. Okay. What is the loss you're still not over? You know, thinking about it today, uh, Alabama in the title game. Uh, yeah. I would also say West Virginia in the Sugar Bowl in 05. Those yeah. That's a good one. You know, that's not one we've heard a lot, but that's a good one. I feel like, especially after the resounding win with DJ in the SEC title. Yeah. And in so many ways, that season was a what could have been. You know, if, if DJ's not injured against Florida, what could happen? And, um, yeah, that, that's, that's a really good one. I like that one. Okay, what's your order at the varsity? Uh, chili dog, two chili dogs from Hungary, onion rings, medium frosted orange, and fried apple pie. I like that. That's a, that's a phenomenal order. Any order that includes the frosted orange is a win in my book. Oh, yeah, you have to go up, though. That's, that's yeah. just a must with the varsity. Okay, there ought to be a constitutional amendment outlawing noon kickoffs, yes or no? Yes, if only because it gets really hot in September. <laughs> so, boss's answer is yes, if it's Georgia, no, if it's everyone else, so he has something to watch before the Georgia game. <laughs> I, will, I will go back and I will... I will uh, I'll, I'll latch onto his answer. I like that. Yeah, I like that too. I've adopted that. I, I used to be straight constitutional amendment, but he brought up that point and I said, okay, I like that better. I'm going to go with that too. Okay. Last question. College football playoff expand to eight teams or fine how it is. Uh, ooh, I, I would say it's fine how it is, but I, I'm not a big playoff fan. So, um, so uh, yeah, just fine how it is. That's where the traditionalist in you comes in. I'm okay with that. Yeah, it, it kicks in with that. Yeah, I'm okay with that. All right, well, you have completed the Smart 16. You're off the hot seat. Thank <laughs> you for obliging us with that. Absolutely. All right, Jason. Well, we are so appreciative that you came on. Um, I just want everyone to know that Jason is a phenomenal resource and the UJ libraries are a phenomenal resource. And please tell us and tell our listeners how we can – Utilize you, utilize everything that the UGA Libraries has uh, for dogs fans to, to enjoy. You know, it's pretty easy. If you're here in Athens, you can always stop by. We're open 8 to 5, Monday through Friday. I am always happy to talk to people about what we have or Georgia sports. 
history, anything about that, uh, you can look me up online on our website, but uh, my email is hasty at uga.edu. Just shoot me an email and let me know what you need and I'll be happy to work with you. I can firsthand attest to that. If you email Jason, he will get back to you, A, and B, provides you an awesome, awesome answer. So take him up on the offer. (laughs) Well, Jason, thank you so much. And uh, we certainly love everything that y'all do and are so appreciative of of how y'all cultivate and uh, safeguard not only Georgia's history, but Georgia's athletics history. So y'all keep up the good work. And uh, as we always say to close, go dogs, sick them. All right. Well, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity to come and talk about this. And hopefully everybody enjoyed it and go dogs. Yeah. Go dogs. George is better now. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.